Top Audrey fans, I'm Luis Camposano, you're listening to Friar Lounge. Hello everyone and welcome to the Friar Lounge podcast, where we regularly talk in-depth about the San Diego Padres. We cover the big league club, our minor league clubs, rumors, and the NL West. Let's get started. Hello, my name is Mark Collier and welcome to the Friar Lounge podcast. I'm joined tonight by Nick Recchia. How's it going, Nick? Doing great, Mark. Doing great. Pure is awesome. Awesome. And, and George Arshi, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, fellas. Again, just to be here at Peoria, Arizona for another uh, year of Pottery Spring Training 2020. Awesome, guys. Let's jump right in. Guys, it's been a great week. We've uh, been in Arizona now since uh, Wednesday, and we've uh, been live tweeting all week. Uh, we've been talking baseball. We've been to games. Um, we've talked to players. Uh, i got to admit, I've had a lot of fun here. It's our, our annual trip. Um, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. What's on the mind of a lot of the, the folks in camp and the players and some of the writers that we've talked to is, you know, the battles that are going on in camp right now. Um, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that in the catching spot, second base and, and even outfield is a there's some there's some battles going on currently catching. It's a spot right now where there's really three guys, uh, Hedges, uh, Torrens and Mejia and I'm going to kick it right over to you, Nick. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's going on in camp? Yeah, when it comes to the, the catching battle right now, Francisco Mejia, as far as uh, March 6th, uh, or up till March 6th, does not have a base hit yet in camp. So, uh, obviously, very short sample size, but it's, it's always concerning when your batting average is uh, triple zero when it comes to March 6th. Uh, defensively, looks pretty much the same from the second half of the season that we saw him with. Um, he's, he's making progress, but I would say he's probably still considered a, uh, slightly below average receiver. Uh, the catcher that's actually been making the most noise in camp so far has been, uh, 23-year-old Luis Torrens. Uh, Torrens, the former Rule 5 draftee, has actually been making, uh, pretty good contact, has been starting a lot of games, um. Uh, the bat, you, you could tell even the body has noticeably changed. He's filled out a little bit more. Um, he's probably between the three catchers that are in Major League camp. Uh, we're on the 40-man roster between Frankie Mejia, Austin Hedges, and himself. He's not as good defensively as Austin Hedges. He's not as good offensively, typically, uh, as Frankie Mejia. But he's better than both are in the opposites. So he's kind of right in the middle. Um, and he's probably... Claiming a, a stake to at least a backup position uh, in the near future. Now, whether that's when the team breaks camp uh, is yet to be seen, but he's uh, he's definitely making a name for himself at camp this year. Well, and it's interesting because I was on the field today and I was watching uh, Rod Barajas um, spending time, some quality time with with Torrens and, and Hedges. Mejia wasn't there, and, and obviously Mejia ended up starting today. And um, you know, I think, I'm sure they see him as a valuable piece of the future here, but. It's interesting to see both those guys getting plenty of time with Rod Barajas, and you know I think the next couple of weeks are going to be important for Mejia to like show that he's got you know what it takes to 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 grab the reins, which we all kind of expected from him. Um, and George, what do you have any thoughts here on this battle and like what we're uh, what we're seeing from the the catchers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the big battles in camp, you know, is going to be the catching position. Uh, you know, we got Austin Hedges, uh, the guy who's been behind the dish for us the past few years, and unfortunately he's underperformed grossly uh, with the bat. Uh, we do appreciate the defensive skill set of framing and, you know, working with his pitchers, having those great relationships. But ultimately, 
uh, we want to win games, and sacrificing three to four at-bats a ball game uh, doesn't put the team in a winning situation. So, uh, again, we just talked about Luis Torrens, uh, young, young catcher that we had on our team a couple years back out of a Rule 5. We kept him in the organization. Uh, he continues to grow, as Tank said. Uh, he's been making some good contact. I know the average isn't reflected. He's hitting 182 this spring. But uh, at the end of the day, this team got geared up to get guys on base. And despite his 182 clip so far, he's uh, getting on base at a 333 clip, uh, which is impressive. Uh, Mr. Hedges, again, his average isn't there. It's 214. But, again, he's getting on at a 353 clip, which uh, we'll, we'll take that. That's a win. I definitely could tell you Hedges probably wasn't even over 280 last year, and I don't have that stat in front of me. But, uh, again, we got to look at the silver lining on these figures here. Uh, now, let's talk about Mejia. Uh, Tank just, or Nick just mentioned here that uh, the guy doesn't have a hit yet. I believe he's 0 for 13. Um, you know, he's hit a couple hard balls to the right side of the infield that have been snagged, but he needs to get on. And uh, he's a guy that we, we expect to produce with the bat. We know his struggles are defensively. He's working on with Rod Barajas and company. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Mejia, he's pretty much been given the starting position. He knows it. And uh, now he needs to earn it. And hopefully he can get hot here over the next couple weeks to balance, balance out the average. But again, most importantly, Mejia needs to get on base and start being a little more selective at the, uh, at the plate. Well, a couple of things, I, and thanks, George. A couple of things I'd like to mention is just like I, I spent a lot of time um, just watching the, the Padres on the, uh, the main fields uh, in their practice. And one thing was noticeable to me is that Hedges spent a lot of time um, taking BP from Jace Tingler. And I don't know if they've, I think they're trying to kind of build on that relationship and, and get him. I mean, because if he hits 20, 30 points higher, you know, even 40 points higher, he's going to be a much more valuable piece to this team. And if he hits 170, 180, that's just not going to cut it. So, you know, if you can bring his average up a little bit, I think that's that's great. And, you know, you guys said it said it well, like, we just need me here to hit. Like, that's what we expect from him. And it's a small sample size, but at this point, we need more from that guy. So, um, Hey, let's move on. Uh, let's talk a bit about the second base um, battles that's going on right now. George, you know, talk to me a little bit about uh, your thoughts. I know you have some uh, strong thoughts about second base. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, again, another great, great battle. I think uh, Brian Dozier got signed a couple weeks back to come give a veteran presence. Um, he's got some good skill sets with hitting left-handed pitching. And uh, most importantly, again, getting back to on base. But, uh, you know, we got uh, Profar who was signed, you know, out of the, uh, the beginning of the offseason. And uh, I think there's a lot of depth there. We got Ty France coming back as well. And uh, just some good depth at second base. So uh, what I think is going to happen is, you know, I think Tingler's going to find himself in a situation to maybe uh, go with some veterans and Dozier and Profar is what I think. Um, one big, big surprise out of camp has been Jake Cronenworth, a super, super utility guy who can even hop on the mound. And I believe the other day after, you know, getting three, four at-bats, uh, next morning he was uh, there on the bullpen, uh, throwing some bullpen sessions. And, uh, you know, I believe he's hitting, what, the gun at about 90, 95, 96 on a good day. So just a lot of depth. Um, you know, does Cronenworth maybe deserve an opening day, you know, spot on the roster? Maybe. But you got to think of the depth. And uh, there was a good interview this morning, uh, you know, with Tingler referencing, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at a couple World Series teams that just played, teams are going to go through the 50 to 55, maybe up to 60 players throughout a season. So having that depth plays to the team and plays to success. So uh, I think it's going to be a battle that's not going to get finalized tomorrow. Uh, I think it's going to go really toward the end of the season. But, uh, you know, in terms of Ty France, I do think he finds himself starting in AAA. And it's going to be a battle between Profar, uh, as we talked about Dozier, and, uh, and Cronenworth. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, George. And I think, you know, what's interesting, I found by just observing what's going on in camp is Cronenworth has spent a lot of time with the the Manny Machado group. So they, they, all, they all have clusters and groups that they, they form when you're in camp. And you see some of the younger players that are uh, working together, um, you know, the Arias and Owen Millers of the world and guys who are probably on the bubble who are going to end up in the minors. But Cronenworth has certainly been in the mix with the Manny Machados and the the Trent Grishams, and we're seeing him spend a lot of time with the Major League Club at this point, and I think that bodes well for him to, to make this roster or to to be one of the first guys to get the call um, if he does end up in AAA. But Nick, I'd love to get your thoughts on on this battle. That's It's an important one, right? It, it needs to be a position of strength for the Padres, and you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, one thing I can tell you is I'm a huge Jay Cronenworth fan, so... Uh, he does a lot of the little things right. Uh, I love his ability to go 5.5 hole, um, take the the pitch where it's thrown. The kid's a he's a smooth fielder too. Uh, he was taking drills the uh, I believe it was yesterday along with Fernando Tatis on the backfields, and um, it was a smooth transfer uh, over to second base on the double play turns, and uh, he looked very comfortable out there. And uh, I've seen him take balls at, at short, at second, so he definitely gives some versatility for the team that way. Um, his major competitors are Jerks and Profar and Brian Dozier. Um, Gigi, Mr. Greg Garcia is going to be in that mix as well, but I think uh, Gigi being <clears throat> a veteran, uh, he's going to kind of fill a role like he did last year. Uh, he's going to come off the bench, be that kind of glue factor. Jerks and Profar is the big money guy that was acquired from the Oakland A's earlier this offseason. Uh, his profile, though, is as a switch-hitting middle infielder that can play first, third, corner outfield in a pinch. Definitely serves as more of like almost like a super utility player. So worst case scenario, if he's not starting a second, I think he could help give uh, lots of position players days off and kind of rotate throughout the lineup. Brian Dozier is kind of the X factor. This is a, a gentleman who's played on the played in the last two World Series. I uh, was on the Dodgers in uh, 2018. Was on the Nationals and won the World Series last year. So he's he's a player that's been where the rest of this team wants to go. He knows how to win. He knows how to perform in big games and big at-bats and how to grind through the season like that. Uh, it's something that I think Tommy Pham brings to the table. And Brian Dozier is of that same kind of ilk. So um, he's a non-roster invitee as of right now. signed a minor league deal. So he's going to have to earn a roster spot. And uh, so far, a little bit of a slow start, but it's to be expected. Mixed yeah. results. Yeah, I think that that's fair. You know, one thing to mention on the, on the Profar is uh, he spent part of his offseason – I uh, went out to Bobby Dickerson's house, and I think that's you know, to me for a guy who's coming off a, a subpar year, he's, he's this is a free agent year for him. That's a big deal, and you know Profar has incentive to have a, a big year. Um, he's going to want to be on the field as much as possible, and he needs to deal with the yips that he had. And if if anybody can kind of get that out of you, it's, I think it's Bobby Dickerson. I've, he's he's been amazing in camp, and just to watch, he's you know he's he's kind of the same. He's he's built in the same cloth of of, uh, of a Jace Tingler, and I, I just I love it. I love it. Um, anyway, George, I, I just want to kick it over to you. So, if you have any final thoughts here on on the second base side before we move on to the to the outfield? No, you guys hit it on the head. I think uh, it's a big culture change for you know players to be uh, going out in the off season and working with coaches. A lot of times, these guys hit their winter leagues and you know continue to just work on at bats, but to to sit there and reach out for help and, and try to improve your game. Uh, you know, knowing that you're you know, maybe a little bit past your prime time, but you're still fine for an NLB position uh, is important. Uh, the one thing I'm super happy about of all the second basemen fighting for a spot in camp, 
from Garcia, Profar, Dozier, Cronenworth, and France, they're all hitting over 300 in terms of an on-base percentage, which, again, you guys will hear a lot of that from you tonight. But uh, it's a big focus on the team. You guys, we cannot score runs if guys are not on base. We saw a flurry of home runs from guys like Fran Mill and Hunter Renfro last year that didn't, uh, you know, play to the team in W. So uh, a lot of depth there. But uh, excited, as Nick said about Cronenworth, young guy, versatile. And I uh, can't wait to see uh, what the final decision is at second base. No, absolutely. And, and, George, I think you mentioned it before, like 50, 50 to 60 guys potentially we could see um, at the major league level at some point. And, and honestly, what we see on opening day could look very different and ultimately what ends up playing out. If a guy struggles in camp, that doesn't mean he's not going to win the job later on. Maybe Jay Cronenworth starts in the minors and then we move on uh, and he ends up being much bigger, you know, uh, in May or June. So we'll see how that goes. Moving on, let's just let's talk about another battle that continues. And, and this one's, I would say, less of a battle, but I think it's worth talking about. So Tommy Pham today, left fielder, pretty solid, assuming he's healthy. Um, we have Trent Grisham in center field, which is, feels like he's solidified it and what he's way he's played so far and, and just the way he kind of commands center field and, and obviously investment that they made in him feels like he's kind of wrapping up that. And then let's we, we can't sleep on Will Myers. Will Myers has had a great spring. Um, looks like the Will Myers of 2016. I think uh, what I would say about Will Myers is he spent a lot of time in the groups with, with Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham is a guy who commands... Uh, attention, who is a motivator, um, and he's he's um, you know it, it's it's something that we 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 need. It's really a priceless you know piece to our team. Um, with that said, you know that we're gonna need one or two outfielders uh, likely who are gonna make this roster. And I want to want to I want to kind of debate this with you guys because I feel like there's a lot of options for one or two spots. Uh, what happens, uh, George? What do you think? Outfield, um, we got one or two spots. Uh, how does this shape out? Yeah, um, it's another great battle in camp, but one that's a little bit more defined. Uh, I think your starters, uh, you know, we got to be extremely excited for what Trent Grisham brings to the table. Uh, AJ Perla hit a home run on that trade. You know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of question marks when that first happened, and we didn't know what we were getting out of that kid. But uh, you got to enjoy the swagger. He's putting his quality at bats. And, uh, and he's definitely getting on base at a high clip as well. But, yeah, putting Trent in left – or in center, I'm sorry. Uh, Myers, he's making $20 million, and he's he's having a good spring so far. He's changed some good approaches at the plate, shortened the stride. And uh, hopefully that stays a little bit – you know, we get those results uh, into the season and, you know, a little more consistency there. And then in the left, you got the man Tommy Pham, who's been a big part of the culture change. Um, again, just coming to the plate, great game plan. Um, he's getting on base. He's making pitchers work. He's ran full counts, I'd say probably about 75% of his spring training at-bats this year. So the outfield starters, in my opinion, are set. Uh, the four guys fighting for that those two spots probably, uh, Frenchie Cordero, which we've talked about health is always the question mark. Luckily, he's been healthy. Uh, Juan Lagares, who was brought on more of a defensive uh, position, uh, you know, to play center field. Uh, I do see him possibly not making the team. Uh, and then you also have Josh Naylor, who did a good job of uh, you know, losing some weight, getting a little bit more in shape. And, uh, you know, he continues to hit well. So, uh, you know, and then the question mark, uh, Abraham Almonte. There's always one of those surprises out of camp. And Albert, uh, Abraham Almonte has been, he's hitting 565 right now. Um, you know, what do you tell a guy like that who's, who's producing at the plate and trying to, to earn a spot on the team? Um, at the end of the day, I think we do find ourselves, if Cordero's healthy, making the team. And that final spot, I believe it comes down to Josh Nader Almonte, but you got to remember, Abraham Almonte is not on the 40-man roster. 
and uh, extra moves have to be made on that. So, so George, so real quick, talking about Abraham Almonte, right? So he's, he's not on the 40-man roster right now. So if you add Almonte, we're going to have to make some other changes with, with the roster, with the 40-man. So if, if you end up picking up Almonte and, and you got to drop you know, one of those outfielders, you know, what kind of changes are we talking about doing then? Well, yeah, no, it's a great question. You got to talk about, you got to look at that 40 man roster. Um, again, injuries can happen between, you know, now and then. And so then there's moves to make. But uh, yeah, you got to just look at them, the depth of the roster and just looking at some names. It, it's tough. Uh, you know, you got to look at like a young player like uh, Bravik Valera. You know, he's an infielder. Is he a guy that realistically has a future on this, in this organization or on our roster? Uh, we got to win, we got to win now. So if there's a move that needs to be made, um, I, I see him being the first casualty off the 40-man roster if we do that. Remember, Brian Dozier is also a non-roster invitee, so a move will have to be made if he cracks the roster. Uh, but again, uh, I, I'm going to say maybe an injury is going to—if an injury does happen and you have to—you're forced to put someone on the 60-day, uh, that that flexes that opportunity a little bit more for Tingler and company to, to make that move. Well, to me, there's one thing that we have to talk about: is Will Myers. So we we talked about it a little bit, and it feels like he's kind of grabbing hold of the right field spot. But, guys, let's be honest. Like, we've seen Will Myers have stretches that are four weeks, and he looks great. And then he goes into the tank for two months. Um, are you are you buying or selling on this is the real Will Myers? Uh, Will Myers is the, the ultimate enigma for the uh, San Diego Padres. You really uh, – it's like Forrest Gump said, you know, you never know what you're really going to get. Uh, well, he is that box of chocolates for the San Diego Padres. Uh the idea, though, is does he have all the talent in the world all the way from when he was a possibly the top-hitting prospect in all of baseball when he was a Kansas City Royal, when he was a Rookie of the Year for the Rays. But the reality is, is over 2,500-plus at-bats in the major leagues, he's got a career 763 OPS. And what that says is he is a slightly below-average major league hitter at his position. That can be a borderline, you know, if you impact in different ways along with defensive base running like he does, you're an average Major League Baseball player. He gets paid like he's a great baseball player. Well, he was. He, uh, he for was. first half of 2016, he looked that way. He made an all-star team. Okay. But that career 763 OPS portends that he is actually an average Major League Baseball player. And if he wasn't making $20 million a year, and he was making $8 million this year, there wouldn't be the kind of stress and pressure that a lot of the fans and the ownership puts on him. Now, at the same time, like I said, he has the pedigree to be a lot better than what he's performed to. So is he an underperformer? Absolutely. Well, is, is Jace Tingler just going to get more out of him this year? Is, is, like, is, that, is Jace Tingler and like the Tommy fam, is that the, the magic potion that's going to turn him around? Because we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now in front of us. But I, 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 based on history, I'm not sold that like – this is not another like four week or, or two week Will Myers run that we're that we're used to, and, and you shouldn't be because the reality, like I said, the twenty five hundred plus at bats at the major league level says that's the player that he is. Now, if the recipe has changed a little bit, and you got Jace Tingler and Bobby Dickerson and Wayne Kirby, you got a, a different kind of culture being built in that clubhouse now with Tommy Pham. Maybe that is the right recipe to get White Queso back on the right track, and to get him into being the player that he has the capability of becoming. But I'd rather see it and believe it when it actually happens than to talk about the what-ifs with a player who's already 29. This is not a young player who's 22 who has a world of development in front of him. 
Yeah. He's a 29-year-old outfielder who is what he is for the most part, unless we could squeeze a little bit more juice out of that orange. Yeah. So, George, are you buying or selling on Will Myers? Uh, but, you know, if you asked me that last year, the last two years, I'd definitely be, be selling them for a box of cupcakes, man. But uh, the but reality is, as Tank reference, he's like a box of chocolates. And guess what, man? I love chocolates, and I'm buying the whole freaking box because uh, I feel like the, the culture change uh, has had a huge impact on Myers. And I understand it is a completely small sample, but uh, I don't know if the guy's ever gotten on base at a 458 clip. You know, he's changed his approach. He's working on driving the ball the opposite field, which is where he thrives. And uh, let's let's be honest, he's been ping-ponged at positions over the last several years. You're a first baseman. You're a left fielder. Oh, we need you in right field. This year's role is more defined. He's our right fielder. He's going to hit in the middle of the order. He's got guys around him who can hit. And uh, and I'll be honest, I think Tingler visiting him out in the offseason had a huge, huge impact. Tingler tried to reach out to as many players as he could, but touching uh, base with Myers I think is going to show big, big results. So... Uh, I'm excited to see what Myers is going to do this year and hope he carries uh, on his spring training successes into the season. Yeah, thanks, George. I, I hope you're right, guys. Like, if Will Myers, we're a better team. If he, he if he grabs a hold of right field, we're a better team. And if we have a – if it ends up being a platoon at some point where it's Franchi Cordero or something like that, you know, that that's exciting, assuming that Cordero is going to make the club. And one of our next topics here is talk about, about – we went so we went to – a couple days ago we went to a game, went and saw the Mariners play the Padres, and – in that game, we saw quite a few pitchers, uh, specifically uh, Mackenzie Gore, Andres Munoz, uh, Reggie Lawson. And the, and the day prior, we, we didn't get to see was, was uh, Patino, Luis Patino. Um, love to just like have a just open dialogue about, you know, what do we think about these guys specifically? And that game was, I think, impactful for us because we got to see Mackenzie Gore for the first time in spring. Super exciting, as well as these other guys. But I think that was the, the biggest one because obviously he's one of the future cornerstones of this franchise um you know give me let's let's talk about it guys what, what do we think about what we saw and you know where where what is what does this mean for us that what we saw in that game that shut up well that game also was started by Danel Solomet who was sitting 98 throughout his uh <laughs> his outing and I'll tell you if you were a Seattle Mariner that day with the uh bat in your hand and an idea of trying to make the club or show uh show out pretty well in front of your coaches. It was not a successful day. Um, <laughs> Mackenzie Gore in his first outing of the spring, Potter's number one prospect, uh, and by many pundits, anywhere between the number three to number eight prospect in all of baseball, including the number one pitching prospect in baseball. He made quick work of three major league hitters for the Mariners. Took all of eight pitches to buzz soft through their uh, three batters and get back to the dugout. Uh, it was 94 to 96 with the fastball. Uh, the breaking ball, especially the, the slider in limited, uh, looks looked very, very solid. Um, <laughs> one of the ground outs he had over to uh, Eric Hosmer at first base, he beat the first baseman and the batter by probably a good five steps and was waiting at first base for the ball. So, And that kind of screams to the athleticism that Mackenzie Gore has, widely regarded as one of the best athletes in the entire system. Now you move past that and you get to Reggie Lawson, Andres Munoz, some other pitchers that made their debuts that game. Reggie Lawson was sitting 96-97. He looked it, good. He looked good. He looked real good. Uh, it, he has a very unique profile if he was to come out of the pad. He's been a starter his entire career with the Padres since being drafted out of high school. If you go to the if you go to the pen with his stuff and he can play with the fastball and his curveball, in that relief role, I mean, it was 96-97. If he can just shelf the changeup, 
throw the fastball on the curve. That's a very interesting late inning. Wait, so are you telling me that you think Reggie Lawson, is that where he he's, he's going to end up? Uh, I think there's a strong possibility with that. And there's no knock on him, but it's the development of the changeup and also the other pitchers that are in the system ahead of him. Okay, um, okay. It's it's an embarrassment of riches of, uh, of strong pitching coming up in the system. And quite possibly one of his better chances over the next, I would say, couple of years of making the roster might be in a relief capacity, you especially make, if his stuff plays up. You make a good point. I mean, with the depth that we have at pitching, I mean, with Morahone and Baez going back to, to being starters, um, it's pretty deep. You know, with Cal Quantrill even and, and just a host of other guys who, are, who, who can start. Um, no, it's interesting. Uh, George, love to get your thoughts on some of the, what we saw. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about Patino as well. Perfect. Yeah, with Patino, man, excited for our, our number two pitching prospect. Uh, he threw the baseball on Wednesday for a couple innings, and, you know, he, he got a little bit humbled. You know, it wasn't a, it was his best outing, but at the end of the day, I, I think I'm going to quote him here. He was just saying that it was just different uh, pitching here against big leaguers his first time, and uh, usually in double or high A, uh, it is different, and at the major league level, you need to throw more strikes, and that's just part of the learning process for him and that learning curve. Um, you know, at the end of the day, guys, there's a reason that we're not – you know, including Patino on most of these trades, and that unless it's a home run, you know, trade for maybe a guy like Lindor or something like that. But uh, honestly, guys, it's not a guy I want to move. Uh, he's got stuff that plays. Uh, I think we're in a situation right now. We've been pleasantly surprised with what we're getting out of our rotation right now. And I know Patino was isn't sniffing the majors, um, you know, to start the season now. But maybe a guy we could see toward the end of the year while he builds up his arm, his innings, and maybe coming out of the pen. Um, I believe you know on Wednesday. Uh, he was hitting 97 on the gun uh, with his jumpy fastball and was between 94 and 96, uh, throwing, I think, fastballs to mostly uh, to the first batter and, you know, and working with a slider. Uh, he's also, you know, he's got a, he's a pitcher that's got about four pitches, and the one he's been working on lately, uh, it's been the curveball. So, uh, I mean, for a guy his age, having four pitches and maybe two of those being plus already and trying to, you know, fine-tune his third and fourth pitch, it's a scary good thing for the Padres to be ready for. And, uh that was uh, some teams in the NL West, man. And you got Gore and Patino right around the corner. And then you got Lament hitting his stride in Paddock. Boys and girls, it's it's, it's going to be special. And I can't wait. Guys, we got to be excited about, I mean, those guys we just mentioned uh, being in a rotation. I mean, who, who's excited about going into Dodger Stadium with those guys on the bump? That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I've been a Padre fan my whole life. And to have that kind of pitching depth, that – just electricity um, coming into Petco or going on the road. It's, it's exciting, no doubt. Um, um, yeah, one thing I just wanted to add too, guys, with Kershaw and company, you know, in L.A. getting a little bit older and Kershaw, you know, maybe getting past his prime a little bit. I'm, I'm going to just say it. You know, I, I see the Padres as having one of the, the best rotations over the next decade in the NL West. You know, the Giants are still rebuilding. Uh, the Diamondbacks, they, they do what they can do, but, you know, their rotation's still a little iffy, but... Um, you know, with the depth that we have and the guys pumping the ball with, with plus sliders and now Larry Rothschild coming over from the Yankees to add to that, to add to that pitching depth um, is going to play well for us, guys. And we all hear pitching and defense wins championships and you get us in October and we got that rotation going. It, it could be scary. Well, we, we just and thanks, George. We just mentioned a, a handful of names, you know, Lawson, Patino, Gore. Uh, Denelson Lamette. You know, let's not forget Chris Paddock. I mean, there's just some electricity that we're talking about here. That's that's super exciting. Um, let's let's move on real quick. If that's okay with you guys. Um, one one thing I think it's important to talk about is is the vibe in camp, and I think that's something that we've noticed being here in Peoria. Is 
is Jace Tingler. Uh, we, we touched on this a little bit about just his, his leadership, um, but I also think you have to, in, when you mention Jace Tingler, you also have to mention Bobby Dickerson. Um, these two guys have been leaders, uh, and, and they're really cut from the same cloth. And, and what I mean by that is that they, they command respect. They've been around the game. They've touched players at many levels and been throughout the different or in in different places in the organization uh in the various whether it's the Orioles or the the Rangers um I'm, I'm excited to see just what the time they spend the investment they're making individually these players because you gotta there's 70 I think it's 73 76 guys in camp right now that's a lot of a lot of guys to get to know a lot of guys to touch and, and to make sure that you're just like working directly with them um, you know, I, I would just love to know like what your guys' thoughts are on the overall vibe, and if there's anything that's really stood out to you. Uh, Nick, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, it, it's it's the level of accountability and professionalism, honestly. It's not necessarily a knock on Andy Green or, or previous administrations uh, for the Padres, previous managing groups, but uh, give you a great example. So yesterday, Ron, I believe the one of the backfields, kind of between field one and field two out here in Peoria. And on this infield, there was three separate drills going on at the same time. And it was like clockwork. It was fast-paced. It was moving. It was humming. And the orchestrator of that was Bobby Dickerson. He was right in the heart of it. And there's, there's no taking it easy. This is a team now of stars. You have Fernando Tatis, who's one of the burgeoning superstars of this game. You have Manny Machado. You have Eric Hosmer. You, you have some big names on this club right now. And it was like he was running a minor league drill uh, for, for the AA infielders. That's how he was talking with them. That's how they were receptive to it. And they were taking care of business. Uh, and was there a little bit of laughter and fun? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, baseball is a game. But there was a high level of business going on on that backfield on a, a March 5th day in Peoria. 100%. And that's a little bit different than previous years. 100%. One thing I just want to mention before I get to George is that is one thing that's been evident is, uh, so Jace Tingler and Bobby Dickerson both, they, they run this, the the drills that you were talking about, They you have to do what's called 27 in a row. And what what is needed, it's basically a nine inning, effectively a nine inning game that you, you make all the plays. And so there's no no errors, no mistakes. You basically have a, what do you call it? Like a like a perfect game. The guys have to make all the plays. You you know it's a ground ball to third base. You have to make the play over to first base. That counts as one. And I think what's nice about that to see is that everybody is involved, and in that not just the the 26 guys are going to make the roster. That you're going to see 50, 60 players who are involved in that. Whether that's pitchers, hitters, catchers, all of these guys. And there's been some awesome battles. And and Jace Tingler, um, when it's not Bobby Dickerson, it's Jace Tingler, and he's at the heart of that. And he's Riding, he's driving the ship. I'm just, I'm loving seeing that, and it's just a very different vibe. We were here last year, guys, and it's a different feeling. Obviously, there's a lot of optimism. It's the beginning of the year. We're here in March, and we're about to embark on a new season. But um, George, I'd love to get your thoughts on just the, the, what you've seen from these guys and the, and the different vibe and overall. Yeah, man. Uh, no, I, I love myself some Tingler, man. He's, uh, it's been a big culture change, and you know when I, I hear of culture change, which sounds pretty cliche-ish. It's really just getting everyone on the same page and focusing on winning. And, you know, if we think about one sports team that's out there that has a strong culture, we might not like them as fans, but it's the New England Patriots. You know, uh, Bill Belichick came in there decades ago and changed that culture. He brings in heady guys like the Chad Ochocinco's in, and somehow he gets an opportunity to muzzle them up and buy into the culture, you know. 
and uh, and he preaches one game at a time. And in this case, I'm going to just say it's one inning, one at bat at a time, one game at a time. And uh, Tingler's really brought that focus to the team, whether you're a guy making $30 million or a guy just signed off the non-roster uh, or, you know, a guy just being signed out of the, uh, you know, the Dominican, that type of thing. You have this guy that's just having everyone focused. There's 72 guys in camp. You know, he understands there's cuts going to be made, but he goes out of his way to visit every field and every guy and coach him up. Uh, he had an amazing interview sit down with Jesse Agler, uh, I believe today, and he talked about just the culture and his favorite part of his position now is being on the field and impacting the development of these guys. Um, you know, talking to, I was able to speak for a few minutes with San Diego Union Tribute's Kevin Acey and spoke to him just on what the difference he thought between, you know, Andy Green and Tingler. And he told me Tingler just brings this intense level and asked him, is it a good intense? He goes, absolutely, because everyone's bought in. So, um, you know, like Mark, you referenced, these guys are doing drills and if they boot a ball and it's Manny Machado, they're going to chew him out. You're going to do it again. So a uh, high level of accountability. Uh, Tingler's about not just getting to 500 or hoping to make a wild card. He wants to win and win now. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to see those results from the team. And it's going to just come not just from Tingler, uh, but from the other coaches. And there's a reason they surrounded him with, with proven veteran coaches from the pitching coach Larry Rothschild to Wayne Kirby to Bobby Dickerson. So uh, it's, 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 it's a puzzle that's coming together, guys. Nice. So, so George, so real quick, one common link, kind of common ancestor for uh, for all the coaches, including Jay Tingler right now, uh, is actually Buck Showalter. And obviously, Bobby Dickerson, Wayne Kirby, Ryan Flaherty also is uh, most you know recently with Buck Showalter on the staff in Baltimore. But keep in mind, Buck Showalter was also the manager of the Texas Rangers from 2003 to 2006, where Jay Tingler was in the organization. So. Uh, there's a familiarity with that. There's a familiarity with A.J. Preller and I think Buck Showalter and how he conducted himself, how, how he ran a team. So I think there was a comfort level of not only like what staff you're on, but when you got to be around a manager like Buck Showalter, whether you agree with him all, all the time or not, Buck Showalter is one of the consummate professional managers of the last Era. Well, and he Manny Machado was was before Jay Singler came on board. He's a guy that Manny Machado was like, "Hey, you should look at Buck Showalter." Well, now he obviously he's not our manager, but he is a guy that and ultimately ended up kind of having an influence over this club, even though he's not with the organization. Absolutely, Bobby Dickerson and Wayne Kirby are direct disciples from Buck Showalter, and like I said, Jay Singler has a familiarity with him due to Buck Showalter's time in Texas. So. Uh, one common kind of connector right there. I thought it was an interesting kind of connection there. Well, one thing uh, just to, I think to mention on Tingler that I was reading and I think is interesting is Jace Tingler is managed at the DSL and the um, a, um, and the ACL level. And the, the three times that he's managed, all three times he's made the playoffs. Now, certainly those are lower levels, but... You like the pedigree. You like what he's able to do. You like the fact that you're feeling that winning culture, and I think that's going to translate. Like, obviously, we're in a tough division. This is not going to be easy. But let's jump to something we saw today, Nick and George, is the the minor league interest squad game um, that happened on the backfields, and just love to like have a quick discussion about what we saw. Um, Nick, you, you've got a you know a depth of knowledge when it comes to minor league baseball and. And, you know, a couple guys we saw, I'll just throw it out there, is, uh, you know, C.J. Abrams, you know, obviously he was one of the top prospects in the Padres organization and top prospect in all of baseball. Um, you know, we saw Blake Hunt, a variety of different guys there. I just would, would love to just, like, 
um, help have you expand a little bit about what we saw, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go into a little more depth there. Well, I'm going to start off, it was a battle of southpaws from the beginning, so it was Ryan Weathers facing uh, Joey Cantillo, and the beautiful thing about seeing Ryan Weathers, it looked like the snap on his fastball was back. Uh, he was dealing with a little bit of dead arm towards the end of the 2019 season. Uh, the arm looks healthy. Um, you were definitely hearing the, the, the snap of the catcher's mid. He, he was coming in with some velocity. Uh, Joey Cantillo, I will tell you, that is just a large human being right there. Uh, and he was coming, uh, the, the fastball is something that's been probably one of his biggest developments over the last year plus. Uh, it was usually sitting more in like the high 80s to, to hitting 90. Now, when he was in the Cal League and the promotion in the second half last year, it was sitting more in the 91 to 93 range. Uh, if he can continue that progression and fill in a little bit more with, with the overall frame that he has, he's moving his way into the upper echelon of pitching prospects within the organization. Um, now, getting into the hitters, yeah, I mean, it, it all starts with C.J. Abrams. Uh, C.J. Abrams, who hit over 400 in the AZL last year, uh, First inning, Rockets a double into the left center gap there. Well, let, let's okay. Don't stop there because we what happened next I think is is pretty awesome. Let, let's not sleep on just the, the fact that he hit a double. How did he get to third? Yeah, so um, Padre fans have been treated to some absolutely amazing base running in 2019 thanks to Mr. Fernando Tatis, and I feel like C.J. Abrams stole uh, a little trick out of the pocket of Mr. Tatis. So. CJ is on second, and there's a pop-up straight up the elevator shaft, and the ele the catcher, uh, I believe it was Kyle Overstreet, was looking at uh, making a, a pretty good catch, and he did. He made a great catch. Um, he was kind of almost like falling back when he caught it, and CJ but wasn't he battling like some like a there was like a cart there or something like that. I mean, some stuff on the field that normally isn't there because it's a, it's a it's an intra squad game. There but was he's, he's there still, was he still made the catch. A couple coaches, there might have been a net there too. Right. But the amazing thing is, is that C.J. Abrams literally tagged from second and slid into third on a pop up up the elevator shaft above catcher. It was pretty amazing to see a guy literally fly. I don't know if his feet ever really touched the ground. He literally just hit hit the the rocket propeller and landed at third base. It was pretty amazing, uh, and that that's what shows you a true eighty grade on the speed. Uh, it was one of those pop-ups to second base that you see Fernando Tatis tag and, and, and take home on. It was one of those kind of moments where everybody kind of looked at each other like, did that actually just happen? And yes, it did. Yeah, there's a lot of depth there. And one, one question I, I have for you both, just an honest question. Like right now, I, I think it's safe to say we're 12. Um, we'll get back to a bit more about this game. But we're 12, 13 deep when it comes to like starting pitching. Now you've got, you got Ryan Weathers. you got Joey Cantillo. Like – at what point don't you, you have you have a you know we have a talking about the roster like at what point do you just have to like you know start trading some of these guys just simply because we have so much depth I mean obviously Tinker's you know a guy who's who's looking at making deals and improving the ball, ball club all the time um, but I just I'd love to kick at you guys a little bit just because the depth of of starting pitching is just kind of filling up and what's the solution like you can't have 15, 20 guys who can be starters, or, or can you? Well, AJ Preller has said this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of players that, that we're, the front office is connected to. You know, when, when you draft a player, you sign a player, you develop that player, you know, you, you are heavily invested 
into the success of, of this, not only this player, but this person. And at the end of the day, though, you, you have to come to the reality that there's 26 guys on a roster. And not everybody that you draft and sign, even your highest guys, are, are actually going to play Major League Baseball. And even more than that, they're not all going to play Major League Baseball for your organization. So this next offseason is going to be a, a pretty pivotal point in the Padres' roster construction moving forward. And the biggest reason why, the J2 Bonanza in 2015 that landed, among others, Gabriel Arias, Luis Patino, uh, Michelle Baez and Adrian Marjan, who are already on the Major League roster, those kids are going to have to be protected, which means they're going to have to be on or added to the 40-man roster before the Rural, Rural 5 draft this upcoming offseason. If not, they'll be exposed to the Rural 5 and can be selected by an opposing team. And as long as they stay on that roster, we lose them and we get nothing in return other than uh, $50,000, which is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Nick, think that's great. Um, yeah, it's it's a great problem to have. I mean, if you think about it, we've been fans our whole life, and we've been we were lucky to have one or two guys who were coming up from the from the minor leagues. Now we have this just like tremendous depth. It's it's a good time to be a Padre fan, and I think we're all just eager to know like how is this going to shake out. Uh, there's obviously some clear guys who are in the rotation now or who are coming to the rotation that are going to be part of this, but there's just so much depth and. Where do these kids who are trying to come up to make the club? Where do they ultimately end up? And I think those are that's the you know thirty thousand dollar question is like what what happens here? Um, I, you know I'm gonna kick it over to George. Just want to get his thoughts on just like the tremendous amount of depth we have. Yeah, no, you guys hit it on the head, and, and we all know this. Um, you can never have enough pitching guys because injuries happen. Uh, you know regression happens with some players, and uh, you you have to have those layers. And at the end of the day, there's a good reason Preller's put this team together over the last several years, and we have. Uh, we've had one of the top minor league systems in baseball. I believe now we're ranked number two behind uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, you know, layers and layers of depth is a good thing from the bottom levels up to the top. And we're seeing uh, we're seeing the, the results. And, you know, in a year, you know, we're going to be talking about Ryan Weathers. Is he ready to crack the rotation? You know, Luis Patino, is he ready to crack the, the rotation? And then you got guys, you know, like the Reggie Lawsons. Where does he fit in the mix? Anderson Espinoza, who's recovering and on the 60-day uh, IL right now, uh, where does he slot in a year or so when these decisions crunch time come back, uh, also putting these guys on the roster? So uh, Perler and company, they're going to have to make some, some tough, tough decisions and see where, where the youth and the pitching uh, you know, takes us. But, uh, again, we can never have enough pitching, and, and let's see where that depth takes us. No, George, you make a great point. I appreciate you mentioning Anderson Espinoza because that's a guy that obviously Padre fans have been like – unsure about what we're going to get out of him he's he's talented uh and you know mason thompson is a guy that we're not sure what we're going to get out of him um you know injured last year just just a handful of guys it's it's you know it's again it's an exciting problem to have and i'm excited to just either this year or and or next year to see like i feel like by next year we're going to know like what the the core five are going to be um like my feelings that's you know, Paddock and, and Gore and Lamette. Um, beyond that, what else? It's, you know, it's the natural attrition. You know, it's, you might have a different view on this in uh, December of, of 2020 than, than we do right now. Yep. Uh, we'll see who's healthy. We'll see who's progressed. Um, and also because of that roster crunch, there might be some consolidation of talent. 
um, where quantity is traded for an individual quality if you can get a frontline starter or another core piece. AJ Preller, one thing uh, from the winter meetings we attended to uh, all the rumors throughout the winter to, to even now, he's still he's big game hunting. So he's looking to turn three to four pieces possibly into one really big piece to add to the roster. And I don't think that's going to stop from now through you know, moving into this next offseason. So uh, we'll see what he can do. Pull a rabbit out of a hat, maybe a, a Chris Bryant or somebody of that ilk. Who knows? But uh, I think it's one of those things that uh, he's always got his eyes open, and you know, it's going to have to happen one way or the other. So, absolutely, no, thanks, guys. That's great. I appreciate that. And one thing I want to mention is like, obviously, this while we've been here, we've been pretty active on on, on social media. I think we spent a lot of time just posting uh, content about you know a lot of things we talked about tonight. You know, whether it's Tingler, the the youth, um, C.J. Abrams. Um, so if, if you haven't, uh, seen some of that on, on Twitter specifically, you know, check it out. We've been active on Facebook as well. Um, you know, take a look. There's, there's a lot of good content there that we've shared. It's a lot about what we talked about. Um, um, so I guess moving on, I just want to, this is our, our last make segment. We've been uh, focused on doing Q and A with the fans. Um, so one of our, one of our questions that came in recently was, uh, uh, I'll kick this to both of you and get your thoughts here is, um, so, what is Tommy Pham's status uh, and in his health in, uh, as we move into the season? So, obviously, at the end of the uh, year last year for the Rays, Tommy Pham had a UCL sprain. Um, so, it was something that he, he went on the DL a little bit for them. Uh, was able to still play throughout the postseason, though. Uh, this offseason, the Padres have been precautious with it. Uh, they were when they did physicals uh, upon acquiring him. And through the spring... If he if he was needed to play in the field right now during the regular season, he would be able to do that 100%. Uh, but they want to make sure this does not turn into a long-term problem and he stays healthy for 150-plus games. And he's been DH so far exclusively, correct? That is correct. Um, talking with, with Padre coaches, though, this week, he should be making his field appearance this upcoming week. So it could be within a handful of days we're going to see Tommy Pham debut in left field um, where uh, – He's had a, a wealth of experience for the Cardinals and the Rays overall, so we look forward to seeing him out there in the field in the upcoming days. No, I appreciate that. And, and one thing I forgot to mention, so this question was coming in from Wes from Alpine, so thank you, Wes. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I want to I give George an opportunity to answer our, our second question tonight. Is um, So uh, one guy we touched on briefly is, uh, so where does Michelle Baez fit into the Padres' 2000 plans? And this is coming in uh, from Andy and Santee. George, let me know what your thoughts are on, on Michelle Baez and, and how he fits into the picture here. Yeah, Michelle Baez has been working his tail off the past couple seasons. Um, I, I think this season the game plan for him is to continue to, to work on his arm and give him innings. And uh, the fact that we've loaded up our depth with the bullpen this year with some vets, uh, I don't know if Michelle Baez is going to be part of that, but uh, eventually I think he will. But I, I think he's going to start in the minors. He's 24 years old, uh, six foot eight monster. And, again, last year he was on the Major League team. Uh, he was involved in about 24 games. I believe he started uh, the first one, and the rest came out of a relief role. But uh, he was a plus war player for us, uh, nothing crazy, but a .6 war in the positive, and had about a 3.03 uh, ERA. And uh, of those 29 innings that he did throw, he struck out 28 guys, so roughly about one per inning, which will take all day. Uh, big power arm, comes out to you tall off the mound, a la Chris Young, and just a power slider he's been working on. So, uh, Nick, correct me if you're wrong, you see a future for him starting at the, at the minor league level or uh, cracking the, the major league roster? 
Yeah, I mean, when you have a, a six foot eight frame, obviously, usually repeating your mechanics is, is the hardest thing that, that comes with that large of a frame. Uh, but the fastball, it, it's it's a mid to high nineties fastball when it's when it's healthy. Um, it, it's about building up innings, building up the, the length in his arm. So, but the slider this spring has been kind of more peaking up. Uh, the slider's more in the 87, 88 range. So if you're able to have that kind of fastball velocity, hold it deep into games, have that kind of tilt, Michelle's always had more of an advanced changeup. So if you can have a, a true three-pitch mix of advanced pitches, that is a profile of a mid-rotation starter. So if he can maintain that, that's definitely a profile of the plays at the major league level. So most good relievers are usually a, a one or, or two-trick pony. If you got three pitches, though, that plays at the major league level in a starter's capacity. But he's got to be able to, to beef up the innings and get into that 150-plus range to, to be a viable starter at the major league level. Yeah, just another arm in the, the cog that, have, that is the Padres' uh, pitching options. It's, it's fantastic. And, guys, we have a lot of reason to be excited. We're, we're here in Peoria. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time getting to hang out with you guys, talk to the players, uh, talk to the fans. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a real pleasure, and I'm glad we do this annually. This just makes a lot of sense to me. And um... Yeah, same thing for me, guys. I want to thank the fans. Uh, I want to thank the teams, and, you know, there's been a lot of big support here for Friar Lounge out here in our last four days that we've been here. Uh, Bummer, we need to head back. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I think it's worth definitely taking the time to, to thank our fans that have followed us on Twitter and make sure that um, you, you continue to send us those questions, whether that's over Twitter or you send it to uh, friarlounge at gmail.com. Send those, those questions there. We're happy to answer them, uh, some of those questions um, during the podcast. So thank you again. Um, we're signing off from, from Peoria. We'll be back here, obviously, next year, but we'll be back next week with our next podcast. And uh, appreciate it. Have a great week, Padre fans. Thank you for listening to the Friar Lounge podcast. For more awesome content about your San Diego Padres, visit our website, friarlounge.com, or check us out on Twitter or Facebook. Have a great week, and go Padres! <laughs>